Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Okay, well, thank the Lord. It's excited to be back in here talking about the amazing book of Ecclesiastes and uh, the search for meaning. But before I get on with that, I just want to say a quick big thank you to uh, Milt Matchek and John Ridge, both for filling in these past two Sundays in here. Uh, so grateful for them. So ble- We are so blessed to have uh, so many wonderful men in this church, but thankful for both of those men that stepped in. And I also just wanted to thank you big time. <laughs> So those of you that are just faithful in this class, I, I am so uh, blessed by you, and uh, you, it, my heart is so touched. Every time I see you here on a 9.30 on a Sunday morning, thank you, thank you, thank you for just being here and encouraging my heart and encouraging one another to keep going in the faith. Well, a quick review, Ecclesiastes chapters 1 and 2, we've already covered several weeks ago. This whole book is written by Solomon, and it is a book detailing... Solomon's search for meaning in life under the sun, primarily. In other words, what, what that means is, uh, the question, the big question of the book is, can man find meaning and fulfillment in this life if he leaves God out of the picture? If he's only looking under the sun, can we find meaning and fulfillment? And so far, Solomon, the man who had everything, he, that is, that is, he is the epitome of the man who literally had everything. Um, he has shown in chapters 1 and 2 that the biggest things that people go after, materialism, hedonism, intellectualism, none of those will fully satisfy the heart of man. They cannot. You eventually come to a place where you realize this is not going to satisfy the deepest part of who I am as a person. The words that Solomon used are vanity of vanities. All is vanity. The most vanity of all vanities that you could possibly imagine, that's what those things actually are when you, go, when you get to the bottom of it. That's the conclusion that everybody will come to if they make one of those things under the sun their whole life pursuit and make their life all about those things. So now, what we're going to see next is that Solomon's going to introduce a principle that he learned in his, uh, in his search here, this principle that he learned to accept deeply. And this is a principle about time and about God's control. Now, if one thing, if you're going to go on a quest for meaning in life, you're going to soon run into the issue of time. It's a big issue. Uh, as David said in Psalm 31 and verse 15, and this is the principle really that, that Solomon had to learn here, and that my times are in God's hand. My times are in God's hand. And that's really what this chapter is all about. Let me talk about time for just a minute. Time is an interesting thing. I mean, our lives revolve around time. Uh, What what time uh, do you go to work? What time will you be here for dinner? Uh, Do you you have the time to do that, son? (laughs) What time is it? Uh, Could you give me the time? Uh, I only have a certain amount of time to teach this lesson. Our, our lives are always uh, bound by time. Time is a big, huge part of our everyday life. But actually, did you know that time 
as we know it now, uh, wasn't even really a thing <laughs> until 1883. What I mean by that is that was the year that Charles Dodd, a school teacher, and William Allen, a railroad engineer, standardized uh, time in the United States. And it was only after the American railroads uh, accepted their idea of four time zones uh, across the country that trains then could schedule arrivals and departures with consistency. And so all of a sudden now there's organization. Well, it took one more year for 26 nations of the world to gather and determine a 24-hour worldwide time zone that we now use. But even though that's, you know, that, that's the way we describe time, and it hasn't been really around that long, God has been working with time since the beginning of creation. In fact, God created time, God originated time uh, for us in the first week of creation. In Genesis 1-5, he said, the evening and the morning were the first day. So that is originating how time was going to work. But God himself is outside of time. Um, he is not bound by time, but he built time and seasons into this cosmos that we live in. So he obviously has a design for it. He has a reason for us to live in this time-centered universe. Now today, we're going to focus on one chapter in the Bible that really could be called the time chapter. There's no other chapter like Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that really gives us the principle of time and what we're supposed to do with it and how we're supposed to view time. So let's look at the first uh, principle here, or the principle of this book. It's in right there in verse number 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Is my uh, clicker not working there? <laughs> you can turn it off on the side and back on again. Maybe it'll come back on. And if not, you might have to join me up here, babe. <laughs> to everything, look at that verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. If you have it in front of you, Ecclesiastes 3, 1. To everything, to everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Now, one thing you can tell from ev evaluating life under the sun, and that's this principle, that everything has a season and everything has a time. Now, the word season, uh, it, <laughs> she's getting it all, all taken care of. Thank you, thank you, babe. The word season, uh, let's think about that word season for a minute, all right? The word season implies a duration of time, meaning it's something that doesn't last forever. To every season, there is a start and, that the, and there is an end. But the key point here is that these, and that's, so that's the key point in this verse, in this principle, that things that come into our life come in seasons, and they are uncontrolled by you and me. They have a start and they have an end, and you don't get to say when that is. Solomon is going to say who controls that later, but it's plain to see in all of the things of life that really... We don't really have as much control over our life as we think we do. The seasons of our life are come very controlled by God. In fact, the next 14 pairs now in this chapter, he's going to give 14 pairs of extremes in our life that prove what he's trying to say. He starts with birth and death, then moved, pretty much moves to every category of life. And that's kind of what this whole section is about. It's meant to help us think of everything in our life. 
uh, there's a time and a season for. He's putting all of human experience in a, in a poetic nutshell. So here's the proof for the principle, the proof. No, verse number two, let's start with there. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. Now, real quick, the time of your birth, which was, uh, or the, the time, the moment you were born was appointed by God. You didn't get to choose. Um, the time of your death is also appointed by God. It's already on his calendar. You have no control over that. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 says, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. You have an appointment with death. It's coming. Um, each age uh, of your life, you join an, a season of life that will last a little while and then give way to the next season of aging. It's going to happen. Nobody can stop it. Time, there's, it says not only is there a time to be born and a time to die and everything that happens in between, but there's a time to plant something and a time to pluck up something. You know, getting outside and planting something, especially in the springtime, it's a beautiful time of year. You get plant a beautiful flower or anytime you plant a tree, it's just a nice thing to do. It's the beginning of life. There is a time for that. But eventually, plants need to be plucked up. They wither, they die, something happens. Every living thing has a life cycle. Verse number three, there's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. There's a time to kill weeds. <laughs> there's a time to kill animals for food. There's a, even a time for killing in self-defense or war. And of course, there's a time to heal and bring healing. There's a time to break down and build up, it says. You know, you put in a nice kitchen in your house, you get a beautiful, exactly how you want it, it's gorgeous, and 20 years down the road, guess what? It's time to put in a new kitchen, it's time to be remodeled. Everything has a season, it has a beginning, it has an end. I think of what we're doing over here in the Children's Center. I remember when we first built that whole building, and, and now we're tearing it all apart and putting it all, all making it all new again, because it's, there's a time for that, there's a season for everything. Verse four, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Have you noticed that all of these things that we're looking at right now have a positive and a negative, and that is life. There's, a life is full of positives and negatives. Life, listen, is never always sad. It's never always happy. There are seasons, there are good seasons and there are going to be bad seasons and there's gonna be everything in between. That is something we have to accept. That's life, that's seasons, that's how this thing works, that's how God built this. Verse five, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. Back then, you might wanna move stones to prepare the ground for building, get all the stones out of the dirt so that you can prepare the dirt for building something. But then, a few years later, you might wanna gather all those stones that you just moved out of the way and build a fence with them. Uh, it's amazing. It, one day you want something, another day you need something else. But in, and even relationships have a season. There comes a time to embrace someone. And then there comes a time where you need to not embrace somebody. You girls need to tell that guy, don't you dare embrace me. <laughs> Verse number six, a time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. Now this is a verse about shopping at Target. Uh, and the, the time to get is when your wife brings home a bag of great stuff and it's wonderful, but a time to lose is when you look at your bank account. And, but, but then there's a time to keep and then there's a time to cast away. 
There's time to save something and hold on to it for a later day, but then there's also a time to stop being a pack rat and get rid of your storage unit and get stuff out there. It's a, it's a wonderful thing called a yard sale. Verse seven, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to rend represents a time of mourning. Back then, they would rend their clothes when they were in a, when they were in a place of deep mourning. But then they would later take those clothes and sew them back up. And that's the point here. The mourning period is over and it's time to return to a life of joy. There's a time for mourning in life, but then there's also a time to get back to joy, a time to uh, keep silence and a time to speak, of course. Verse eight, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. See, a time to love things that are lovely and a time to hate the things that God hates. We ought to hate all the things God hates. There's an appropriate time for war. There is an appropriate time for peace as well. The point here of all this is that life is just full of experiences that come and go, and they don't last forever. Nothing lasts forever in this under the sun. Mark Lowry, of course, the Christian comedian, says his favorite verse is, and it came to pass. That's it. He said, life is, when life is bad, you just think of that verse, and it came to pass. Life is bad, it's going to come to pass, something else good's going to come along. But I'm sorry, folks, if you're in a good place right now, and it came to pass. And pretty soon, there's going to be something that's going to challenge you, it's going to hit you. This list of 14 pairs here is so poetic. Uh, people have, it has resonated with the human soul for a long time. And back in the 1960s, it really resonated with the hippie culture. And so, in the 60s, they stole it, and they put it into a song, Pete Seeger, it's called Turn, Turn, Turn. Who knows which one I'm talking about already? Look at all, these are all the druggies here that you can see, right, everybody, so. <laughs> but in 1965, the, the song became a number one hit uh, on, on Billboard for a week or so, and it's the birds that made, made it popular. I'm going to play a little bit for you real quick here. Are you ready for this? Now listen to the words and how it is exactly what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. <laughs> Knew it. I think you get the point. <laughs> Pastor Mike plays that song one of these days, you know what's going on. I, but you know, that, uh, the words, uh, and they do all of those verses in this, in this song, but uh, I certainly don't think they fully understood what this was all about. But there is something that's very poetic and very, uh, very interesting about these words that really does resonate with human beings and with all of us in our lives. Life is coming at us, it's out of our control, 
And we recognize that there are seasons for good, there are seasons for bad, but none of the, these things last forever. And this leads to the perspective now that, that Solomon's gonna give us that I wanted to look at. Verse, starting in verse nine. So here's the perspective then. Knowing that, understanding these, this principle, what is the perspective that we see here? Verse nine, what profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? So this is the same question that Solomon has had this whole time. Where is the prophet in this world? Under the sun, if I'm looking under the sun and doing all of these things and all these things are coming at me and these, I have seasons of life that are out of my control, then what is the point? Where is the prophet in doing what I do? Um, good stuff is gonna come and then bad stuff's gonna come and they're gonna cancel out each other. It's a net zero. Is there any meaning then under the sun? And if you leave God out of the picture, then you, have to, you would have to say that my labor and everything I put into this life is pointless. It's profitless. I don't really get anything out of it. And that is the perspective under the sun. Verse 10, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. In other words, I've experienced this, Solomon says, and it is just Travail, the word means the evil business of life. We might say the necessary evil. It's a necessary evil to live this life, if you will. It's just how it is. This is how it feels for so many under the sun. This is, this is the weight that people live with each and every day that don't have God. Anybody who's really thinking or has a, uh, has a mind about what's going on, this is the way they're going to feel. They're going to wake up and it's just going to feel like they're in one of those uh, motorcycle cages. Have you ever seen those at the circus or whatever? The guy's going around in a circle. You just feel like you're just going around. What's the really profit of why we're doing this, you know? Where are we actually headed in this thing? And as, as Solomon said, God has made it this way and we are not going to change it. This is the world we live in. Um, if you're looking under the sun, you're just, you're, that's the point you're going to come to. Now, but look what he says next, and Solomon kind of goes above the sun for this. Verse 11, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work of, that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Now, this is a verse about sovereignty. He goes above the sun, and he realizes, you know, God really is doing this and it's actually, there's something beautiful about it. There's something fitting about it. The word beautiful there actually means fitting or ideal. Solomon is accepting now that God has made the world with these patterns of highs and lows. And it's a fallen world, yes. It's not how God made it to, at the very beginning. But now in this fallen world, he's given us this world of highs and lows. And therefore, since God is involved, and this is the important part, since God is involved, it is fitting, it is beautiful. Solomon is not saying that everything is perfect. No, no, no. He's, he's giving a perspective, a proper, a good perspective on sovereignty. Now, Greg Allison, he, he says that uh, sovereignty, he defines it this way, the sovereignty of God is the divine attribute of being all-powerful as the king and lord who exercises supreme rule over all creation. I remember one just simple uh, definition of sovereignty is God can do whatever he wills to do. He is just in control. He is God. And so Solomon is saying here, I'm accepting the way things are 
for the very reason because God has made it this way and therefore we can call it beautiful or fitting or ideal. God is sovereign. He knows best how to operate everything in this world at one time. And he knows everything and so we just leave this to him. This is something that I cannot do and nor any human uh, as well. We humans are too limited. We're weak. We don't understand even how God does this or even why God does the things that he does. And listen, even if God told you why he does everything in this world at one time and he, he, he tried to explain it to you, there was no way you'd be able to make sense of it or know what he's talking about. We are way too limited. So the best idea then is to back up and just say God has made all things beautiful in his time and in the season that he made. It's standing back and it's admiring the whole work of art rather than going up really close to that work of art and pointing out one little flaw in it or one little piece that you don't like. Verse, but verse 11 also says that he has put the world in their heart. Or what we could say is he put eternity in their heart. What he means by that is that every human being and this is kind of what gives us a little bit of that tension in our hearts, and that is because every human being has an insatiable, God-given appetite to know about eternal things. We instinctively know that when we look around in this world, there is something that the more than this, bigger than this life. And that's the reason that we're even sitting here asking these questions or talking about this or why people in the world have even talked about these things, because there is just something in the human heart that knows there's something beyond this. Don Richardson, he was a missionary uh, used by God, and he went really on a quest to find this eternity in the hearts of humans, and he found it everywhere. But first, you know, his story goes back a little bit. 1962, Don and his wife, they embarked on this missionary journey into Indonesia, into, the, into uh, New Guinea, Papua New Guinea. They served there for 15 years among the Sawi uh, people, a Stone Age cannibal tribe, uh, of headhunters, and they, these folks, interesting about these folks, they idealized murder and lying. Those were their morals. They thought those were actually good things or things that they held up. Don and Carol went there. They planted churches. They designed an alphabet for them to be able to begin to read. They translated the New Testament into their language. And in time, uh, other missionaries came and the gospel replaced warring and headhunting with peace and goodwill. Now, he wrote about all this in an amazing book, a bestseller called Peace Child. And he tells how he discovered an ancient tradition in, the, in these tribes of uh, where two warring tribes would be at each other's throats and they'd be killing each other. But when they wanted peace, what would happen is that one tribe would have to give up one of their children. One of the families in the tribe would have to give up one of their sons and by giving their son to the other tribe, now my family member is in your tribe, and now we can have peace. It's the only way to secure peace between those two warring tribes, because anything else, they would lie and cheat, and they would just kill each other. And so this is finally the way that Don Richardson discovered how I can get the gospel into, into their minds to understand what Jesus did for them. God sent a peace child to this earth, and he sent his son into your tribe, and now we, you can have peace with God. You were, you were at war with God, but now you can have peace. And this, this, uh, this book became a bestseller almost immediately. But after that experience, Don Richardson really was fascinated by how this tradition in their tribes 
really reflected on eternity and reflected on this whole system that God has created. And so he really went on a search and searched hundreds of cultures around the world to find those uh, little uh, nuggets, those little traditions in, within tribes that reflect this idea that God can be at peace with man and how uh, God's story plays out. And he wrote about all of that in a book called Eternity in Their Hearts, based on this verse right here, the, the title based on this verse. And that book soon became required reading in seminaries, Bible colleges, and uh, Christians worldwide have seen how God really has prepared the gospel for the world and the world for the gospel. God has put eternity in our hearts. There is just something in us that is reaching for something more than here. And this is why life under the sun, leaving God out of the picture, if we're just searching for life and finding meaning here under the sun, will lead to frustration because we know there's something deeper. You'll never have meaning in life without him. And so what does Solomon do with this information? And how does that affect me day by day, knowing all of this? Well, next we see the plan uh, for each uh, day and how I ought to think about all these things. Verse 12, I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. So that's the same conclusion that Solomon came to in the chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. And again, he's looking above the sun to tell us this truth. He says, rejoice and do good, that's verse 12, and then enjoy life because your time here is a gift from God. So now when you look at this time, this limited time that you have on this earth, how do I view it? How do I view each day? Well, view it as a gift. In other words, since the sovereign God has built into this whole concept of time and seasons, the best thing you could do is just settle in and enjoy every day as a gift within the boundaries that he has set. Now, my favorite story about looking at life as a gift, I've probably told it before, but it's so uh, perfect for this. I want to tell it to you real quick. There was, this is a true story. One pastor told about this. He got a chance, to, he was flying somewhere, and he got a chance. They said, hey, sir, we're sorry. We have to, we have to bump you up to first class. Whoa, okay, <laughs> thank you. It's too crowded back there, but we're going to give you that. So he got to go first class for the very first time. He's riding, and he's sitting there at first class. The plane takes off, and they're asking, what would you like to drink? I mean, they're just treating him so good. He's just got this beautiful, comfortable seat. He's enjoying his surroundings. Everything's at his fingertips, unlike any way he's ever traveled before. But the guy sitting across from him is complaining the whole way. He's just, uh, you know, obviously a wealthy guy. He's there, but he's just saying, hey, how come you haven't done this? Hurry up and get over here with my stuff. I mean, he's just not enjoying his trip at all. And he obviously does this frequently. And so the pastor said, um, what's the difference? Why, we're both having the exact same experience, but why is he ho- having a horrible time and I'm having a good time? The reason is, he said, because I saw it as a gift. This is a gift. What a, what a pleasure, what a joy to be up here and to be living in this situation. But this other man didn't see life as a gift, didn't see the whole thing. He just said, I deserve this. God wants us to see life as a gift. It is a gift. And everything that comes with it is a gift. Look at life positively. Every season is your gift. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes until you're a grandparent to understand that. <laughs> I see, the, I see the, you know, the grandparents, they'll always say, 
They're always the ones saying, enjoy this time with your kids, you know, <laughs> enjoy this time, enjoy this time, they're going to grow up. And it's amazing how that happens. But God wants us to enjoy all of the seasons, young ones, old ones, and all that happens in between. Yes, there are hard times, but there are also wonderful times. Life is never one-dimensional. So here's the plan on how to live this out real quick, and that's this. Number one, accept the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God can be comforting, but it can also be frustrating at times. We're frustrated because we wonder why would God allow something painful to happen to me or to my friend or to my family. But at the same time, God's sovereignty is very comforting because we know that no matter what happens in this world, that God is in control. And he has us in his hands and everything will be okay. We have to simply then just say, okay, God, you make all things beautiful in your time and in its time. I have to just step back and accept the sovereignty of God at all times and say, whatever it is, whatever is going on, I accept it. And then number two, the plan really involves then be learning to be comfortable with not knowing why. I have asked why so many times. I think anybody who goes through something, anybody that goes through a challenging time, to me at least, that's the first question I ask. Why, Lord? Why this? Why this for that person? Why do they have to go through this and this person doesn't and this person has to go through that and that person has, why, why? But God simply doesn't give the answer here. And even if he gives partial answers, he will not give the full answer. And we could never understand the full answer, even if he did give it. And I like what one pastor said. He said, we don't have a crystal ball. We have a book of theology. That's what God has given to us. And so what we have to do is we have to be comfortable with not knowing the why and saying, Lord, I'm just going to accept this moment. I'm going to have peace in my heart that you are in control, and I don't have to know the why. We take each day as a gift, and we just live it with joy. Now, after you've settled those things in your heart and enjoying each day as it comes, this is what God wants. Verse 14, and it, this kind of explains it a little more. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be taken, or it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it, that men should fear before him. This is a reiteration of sovereignty, and God has designed the world as he pleased. We can't control it. We can't comprehend it. And this thought should cause men not to fight against God, but rather to fear God, it says. And this doesn't mean that you're, we're afraid of him. It just means that we reverence and awe. It means we bow the knee to him. It means we get down and say, God, it is just, this is totally beyond my ability to know anything. So I just some, humbly, humbly bow the knee and accept all of it. Man is so proud. We are so proud. We want to know everything, and we, but we can never know everything. You know, many intellectuals will never trust God because they're in a never-ending pursuit of a knowledge that's too high for them to ever understand. And once we admit that and back up and say, okay, Lord, and yield to God's control, then we start finding the meaning of life. In fact, you can't even get to a knowledge of God until you fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the Bible says. You can't even find a knowledge of God unless you first humble yourself and say, I can't know everything, God. I just, fulfillment doesn't come from a freedom from God, but rather a submission to God. And once I'm there, then I begin to find meaning. The final statement on this is verse 15, and that which hath been is now, and that which is to, to be hath already been. 
and God requireth that which is past. Again, he's just saying that life comes in seasons. Everything that's on its way out right now is going to come back around again. You see that in all the clothing styles, right? And then it will, guess what? It'll just leave again. But that last statement, I think, reminds us in this verse that God does require something from us in this whole system of life. And that is that God requireth that which is past. Yes, God's in charge. He is sovereign. He's over all the happenings of the world. But man will stand before God to answer for what he did in this life. So, the point is, enjoy life, have, have a good time, find your joy in this life, but within God's boundaries. This is a big conclusion that comes at the end of this book especially, but there is more that God's sovereignty helps us understand. That's, the, that's what we're gonna talk about next real quickly here, and that is the payday. Number five, and moreover I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every purpose and for every work. So Solomon looked at life under the sun. He realized that in places of earthly judgment, like the judge's bench, um, wickedness sometimes was winning. And in places where there should be righteousness, iniquity is there. In other words, this world is full of injustice. It's a bad place. The places you would think would be good often are bad. We've all seen this. Wickedness and iniquity abound everywhere, even in the halls of justice and righteousness in our country. Crimes go unpunished. People are unjustly treated all over the world. This happens in this world that God made. But the logic of verse 17 is that if there is a time for everything, then there is a time for giving the righteous their due payment and in giving the wicked their due payment. In other words, God is the judge of all things. He sees everything and he will settle all scores justly in the end. Payday is coming. As believers, we understand that and scripture bears that out and the whole, that's it, the whole message of the gospel. And this is why we live with an urgency to tell people about Christ and tell them the judgment day is coming and the only way to be able to live with the Lord forever and have peace, peace with God is through Jesus Christ. But most people live with an under the sun mentality. They try to ignore the thought of future judgment. But there's one thing that humbles that person and that is the idea of death. Look at verses 18, 19, and 20. Now I said in mine heart concerning the estate of sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go into one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Now, Ecclesiastes is a difficult book to interpret, but I've done my best for you, and a lot of different people say a lot of different things, but I believe this is the meaning here. Solomon is recognizing that God uses death to get man's attention. And even if you live life leaving God out of the picture, man must at some point admit that we die just like the animals. I mean, you have to admit that. (laughs) There's no way around it. You know, humans, we seem to think that we're so special because we're human. But death, God has a way of using death 
to help you think that you're just like the animals, guess what? Your body will return to dust just like theirs will. There's no difference. Man needs to grapple with his frailty. Psalm 38 and verse 4, David said, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my day, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. We need to grapple with our frailty, and man needs to grapple with his frailty. And once he does and gets above the sun then and realizes, I need help, Lord, this is too much, this is too hard on me, then this is what he finds. And that's what we find at the end, and that is the peace. Verse 21. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? One uh, commentator, a scholar, he paraphrases this verse this way. There are not many who take to heart as they ought the fact that the spirit of man goeth upward, and that the spirit of the beast goeth downward to the earth. In other words, yes, man resembles the beast in his body, but man is above the beast in that he has an eternal destiny. There's something more to man. And Solomon was again bringing God and eternity into the picture now for us, getting above the sun and helping us see something that's very, very important. For there to be meaning in life, we have to live each day knowing that, there are eternal, that we are eternal beings. We are going somewhere. It, this isn't just a little... Uh, time on this track and then everything's over. No, man is eternal. We have something beyond this and that's why everything counts. The things that we do count. The stuff that we do with our bodies counts for eternity. This is not all that there is and then this is how that affects us daily. Verse 22, Where I wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works for that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him. Again, knowing that there is a time and a season for everything. So we're recapping this chapter now. Knowing that there is a time and a season for everything. Knowing that God is sovereign and he is in control of my entire life. Knowing that I will now stand before God one day. Knowing that I am a being that will live eternally. Then here's what I do each day. I need to go out there and I need to rejoice. I need to rejoice in each day. I have a limited time here and then I'll be there. So in my limited time here, see it as a portion, as a gift that from God that he's given to me, and live it in that way. Live with joy. Come on, this is a, this is a good thing that God has given to us. This, God has made all things beautiful in his time. Just accept the sovereignty of God, be comfortable not knowing the why, and just live this life as a gift until we see Jesus again. A high view, a high view of the sovereignty of God gives you the most wonderful comfort deep down in your heart. And it gives you a way to live this life in peace. And there is a great peace that comes to the child of God. One of my top five favorite quotes in all the world is from Charles Spurgeon when he said, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. It is. It really is. Knowing that God's in control, knowing that God has everything, I can just sleep tonight like a little baby and I don't have to worry about all the things that I could be worrying about. Just know that everything has a season and enjoy the season that you have right now. You'll soon be home. And so just leave the worrying to God. And with that perspective, we can truly enjoy each day. Lord, we hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. 
From all of us here at the Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.